Last week we talked about how these new disciples devoted themselves. It's interesting that Acts chapter 2 says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teachings. They devoted themselves to this, what I'm holding my hand. They devoted themselves to fellowship with each other. That is the church. They devoted themselves to eating together, including the Lord's Supper. We just did that a moment ago. And they devoted themselves together to pray so that they might have a relationship, a verbal, ongoing relationship with the living God. But then something happened. They became so devoted that they were getting rid of anything and everything that competed with their devotion. If there was anything in their life that was taking away from the main thing, they were getting rid of it. They were selling stuff, getting rid of stuff, and then something happened. Something happened to these devoted people. Something happened among these devoted people. And something, this something was outside of their control. Now I want to tell you, some of this is inside their control. Some of this they have a responsibility to that they have an influence over. But what happens next in the book of Acts is outside of their control, outside of their abilities. Acts chapter 2, verse 46 is where we begin today. They worshiped together at the temple each day. They met in homes for the Lord's Supper and they shared their meals with great joy and generosity all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day something happened. This is outside their ability. And each day something happened. The Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. They did it every day. This whole church thing, they did it every day. Not just on Sundays. They met at the temple they met in their homes. They were truly a community of believers. They shared their meals. They shared their money. They shared their lives with each other. Church, do you understand? This is the pattern of the church. They shared their meals. They shared their money. They shared their lives with each other. With great joy. Did you catch it? With great joy. There was no reluctance. I've got to go to church on Sunday. I'm going to tell you what. You get to go to church on Sunday. There's a difference. There are people, some places in the world, that would do anything, give anything to be able to assemble together like we are right now. They did it with great joy. Why? Not reluctance, because they were devoted to the fellowship, the assembly. They praised God together, not just alone. Is there a time to praise God by yourself singularly? Absolutely, yes. But there's also a time to join together as the body of Christ and sing songs of worship and praise. And that's what they did. And then two things are mentioned that will be found throughout the book of Acts to some degree. They enjoyed the goodwill of the people. To some degree, you will find that. Now, I recognize, I've read the whole story several times, there are times that they do not find goodwill among the people. But there are many times that they do. However, this part never changed. 
the church had a drastic effect upon the culture. Listen carefully to what I'm about to say. The church in that time had a drastic influence upon the culture. Everywhere the church went, it affected the culture. Why? Because when light arrives, darkness moves. Every time light arrives, which is the church, darkness is going to have to do something. You'll have to respond in some way. Typically, it moves. It has to move out of the light. If darkness doesn't move out of the light, the darkness becomes the light. And that is the church. Why? Why did it affect the culture? Because these believers were so different than the culture, so different than the people that lived around them. They left the culture. When I was studying in the NIV version, the book of Acts, I came across four words repeatedly over and over and over. Here they are. Amazed, perplexed, astonished, and astounded. The church did those four things to the world that they lived in. Amazed, perplexed, astonished, and astounded. I kept seeing those words appear. Why? Why? Because these people were so different after they met Jesus. They were so different than everyone around them that it was amazing. It was perplexing. It is astonishing. I am astounded at the change from you before and you now. These words Sometimes those words describe the culture's goodwill toward the church, and sometimes they describe the church's bad will that came from the culture. Not always accepting that light. But there is one more thing. One more thing. Did you catch it? Something outside of their control. And each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. Here's my point today. Something happened in the early church that none of the people controlled or influenced. The Lord added to the church daily those people who were being saved. Who? The Lord's doing it. It is outside of their control. So today I ask this question. When you study the church, this movement 2,000-year-old movement of the church. The world has tried to squish it. They've tried to stop it. They've tried to silence it. And it just continues to move and grow. My question is, who's doing this? This adding to the church. Who's doing this? These two points have not changed today. True believers. Number one, true believers. Devoted believers are having a dramatic, drastic effect upon the culture. True believers. When light is inside of you, and you walk in in the light, and your light goes into the dark world, it will have a dramatic effect upon those around you. Number two, the Lord is still adding to the church daily those who are being saved. Man does not do it. It is not the work of man. Adding to the church is adding to the body of Christ. Do you think you can add to the body of Christ? 
Do you think I have the ability to add to the body of Christ? And the Lord added to the church, the body of Christ daily, those who were being saved. God does that, not preachers. God does that. People who devote themselves fully to Christ are different. And they will stand out as different. Let me give you an example. I've often thought years ago there was a big hubbub going on about Tim Tebow. He played college football, and while he played college football, he put John 3.16 under his eyes, and he, he did this prayer thing, and, and he went to the NFL, and then there's like, people are offended, but many people were amazed, perplexed, astonished, and astounded by this guy, because he was so different than everybody else in the culture. And I had this thought one day, I had this thought, what if, what if Tim Tebow was just the way we're all supposed to be. And the rest of us are just cowards. What if that was the early church? That every time people encountered a Christ follower, they were so different than everybody else. So devoted to the apostles' teaching. So devoted to the fellowship. So devoted to the Lord's Supper, communion of the body so devoted to prayer that everyone around them immediately became amazed, perplexed, astonished, and astounded. What if that's not unusual? What if that was just normal? You see, we've been called to be separate. The word church is ecclesia. The idea of ecclesia are the called out ones. We're called to be different. Unique among the nations. Unique among the cultures of the earth. God would use that uniqueness to purify our lives and to draw others into that purifying power of Christ. God revealed His glory. Let me give you an example. In the Old Testament, in the Old Covenant, or the original covenant, God's plan was to reveal His glory to the world through Israel. Right? He was wanting to reveal who he was, his identity, his person, his glory, his plan through a group of people called Israel. In the New Testament, it's our turn. God's plan is through the church, he will reveal his glory. He will reveal his power, his plan, his purpose through the church. He's doing it right now through devoted and called out believers, the church. But let there be no doubt. Let there be no doubt. As in the Old Testament, as the same as in the New Testament, God is doing this. God is the one adding to the church daily those who are being saved. Why do I make such a point of that? Because when you come to the conclusion that the movement of the church, and I'll show you in a few minutes, is a movement of God, not of people. Your response to that movement will change. Jesus, let's hold in the book of Acts and go to the Gospel of John. Chapter 6, verse 44, Jesus makes a statement. Actually, he does it twice in the Gospel of John. And these two verses have radically transformed my view of evangelism. Let me read one to you. Verse 44, Jesus says, For no one can come to me unless the Father draws them. What? 
No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws them to me. And at the last day, I, Jesus, will raise them up. Jesus makes something clear. It's not just once. It's twice in the Gospel of John. He makes something clear about evangelism. About who can add to the church. Who can add to the body of Christ. Who has the power to do that? He says clearly, no one can come to the Son unless the Father who sent the Son draws them. So who's doing this? Here's my question. How and by what means does the Father draw people to the Son? It's clear to me that no one can do it on their own power. It's God that does it. God that's doing it. So the next logical question is, how does He do it? What's it look like? Do you know? Do you know? Well, here's the bigger question. How did He draw you? Surely you know the answer to that one, right? It's one thing to look at Jesus' statement, no one can come to the Son unless the Father draws Him. So that means the Father must have initiated this love relationship. He initiated this invitation for you to come to the Son. How did He do it in your life? Surely you know the answer to that one. I can tell you how He called me. He called me through the preaching of the Word. I can tell you how He called me. He called me through the preaching of the Word and the lives of devoted believers were used by God by the power of the Holy Spirit to open my eyes so that I could see what I could not see until He opened my eyes. But He did it through devoted believers preaching, teaching the Word of God under the power of the Holy Spirit. How did He do it? How did God call those 3,000 that we talked about last Sunday? In Acts chapter 2, 3,000 people receive Christ and are baptized. The Holy Spirit comes. How did, he, how did He do it then? Called out. Called out and devoted Peter preached the Gospel under the power of the Holy Spirit. And guess what happened? I just read it to you. Called out Peter Preach the gospel under the power of the Holy Spirit. And what's the next verse? And the Lord added to their numbers those who were being saved. And the Lord added to the church those who were being saved. Peter didn't do it. Peter didn't add to the body of Christ. The church is the body of Christ. People don't do that. I can't do that. You don't do that. Who's doing this? called out devoted believers, preaching and living out loud the gospel of Christ. This is the church. God calls them out, not preachers or believers. Yes, yes listen, do not confuse what I'm saying. God does it through preachers. God does it through believers. But the power does not lie in man. It lies in God. That's why I am so fearful of the modern American church movement of methods. Methods. Maybe, maybe you're not influenced. Maybe you don't see that very much, but I'm going to tell you I do. You go to the local Christian bookstore somewhere, and I'm going to tell you what, there are shelf after shelf after shelf of 
people who want to tell you how to add to the body of Christ. There's a thousands of books. All you got to do is get one of these books and they have a method that if you'll do this and this and this and this, that you'll be able to add to the church. You can grow the church. You can add to the church daily those who are being saved. But there's already a book that's been written on that. There's already a book that's... Now listen, I am not against methods. I am not against organizational methods. I like organization. And there are methods that are fine. But methods do not add to the church. Methods might bring you to the building that the church meets. Methods might bring you in here so that you're curious enough to hear a word. But methods do not ever make you devoted to Christ. Methods don't do it. Methods can't open your eyes to see, can't open your ears to hear, can't open your heart to receive, believe, and obey. God does it. God does it. Yes, He does it through believers, devoted believers, by the power of the Holy Spirit. Let me ask you a question. When methods are applied to grow the church, are the people in that church devoted to the methods? Or are the people in that church devoted to the apostles' teachings? Which ones? We're devoted to the one that we believe introduced us to God. The body of Christ is devoted. The apostles' teachings, fellowship with each other, the Lord's Supper, and prayer. They did it every day. Not just on Sundays. They met at the temple they met in their homes. They were truly a devoted community of believers. They shared their meals. They shared their money. They shared their lives. They shared everything with each other with great joy. Does that describe you? Does that describe the modern American church? I've said it several times so far in the book of Acts. I'll say it again. When I studied the church in the book of Acts, the American church doesn't look very much like that church. I'm sorry to say it doesn't. They praise God together, not just alone. Does the community around us, does Anderson County or Central Kentucky, those who know us, are they amazed, perplexed, astonished, and astounded? When they know you now and they knew you before, are they amazed, perplexed, astonished, and astounded? With this background, all of that so that I can open up Acts chapter 3, and see what these devoted, called out people of God did in Jerusalem, in Samaria, in Judea, and even has reached us in this room today, 2,000 years later. Acts chapter 3, verse 1. Peter and John went to the temple one afternoon to take part in the three o'clock prayer service. As they approached the temple, a man lame from birth was being carried in. Each day he was put beside the temple gate and the one called the beautiful gate so he could beg from the people going into the temple. When he, the beggar, saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for some money. And I'm going to tell you, it seems like an ordinary day. In fact, I guess Peter and John didn't expect anything particularly unusual was going to happen on this ordinary day. But remember, 
the Lord was adding to the church daily those who were being saved. Not Peter, not John. Don't, don't, don't miss that as we move into the story. Peter and John aren't adding to the church. They're being used of God to add to the church. But Peter and John don't add to the church. The Lord added to the church daily those who are being saved. God is leading them through the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit has a plan in motion for this particular day. I doubt very seriously that Peter and John have any idea what's about to happen. They are just going to the temple for a 3 o'clock prayer service. They don't know in advance... They don't have a method that if we can go to the temple at 3 o'clock and do this and this and this and this, suddenly we'll add to the church. No, that's not how it works. The Holy Spirit has arranged a meeting with a man. The Holy Spirit, not Peter, not John. The Holy Spirit has arranged a meeting with a man who has been lame from birth. A beggar was about to encounter God. A beggar was about to be called by God. The beggar doesn't know it yet. I read these stories and I'm amazed, perplexed, astonished, and astounded. The beggar doesn't even have a clue. Peter and John, they don't have a clue. They don't know in advance what's about to take place. But they are about to experience what? They are about to experience, and the Lord added to the church daily, those who are being saved. They're about to experience that. It begins with the lame beggar asking for money. That's not unusual, but what follows is. What follows is about to create a firestorm that's going to shake all of Jerusalem. Verse 4. Peter and John looked at the beggar intently, and Peter said, look at us. The lame man looked at them eagerly expecting some money. But Peter said, I don't have any silver and I don't have any gold for you. But I'll give you what I have in the name of Jesus Christ, the Nazarene. Get up and walk. There it is. There it is. Do you think Peter went to the temple that day at 3 o'clock looking for a lame man to heal? You think Peter walked into the temple that day and says, okay, I'm looking for a lame guy. Got to be since birth. Because all the methods say that that will draw the most people to the body of Christ. No, he doesn't have a clue. Who's doing this? Who's doing this? Here's where I'm going today. Until you come to the fact in your life that you understand who's doing this whole church thing, your response will never be appropriate until you understand who's doing this. It's not people. It's God. It's God doing this. Do you think Peter was looking for a beggar? No. He and John have gone there as devoted believers, the Bible says, for a three o'clock prayer service. But something happens. You know what that is? God happens. That's how it works. We don't plan it, we don't plan it through our clever methods. We don't come up with a plan as to how to evangelize the temple at 3 o'clock during the prayer time. God happens. The beggar asks for money and the Holy Spirit prompts Peter and John. God is going to do some adding today. How? 
So how do they do it? How do they do it? And how do we do it? If God is the one doing it, but he does it through people, devoted people, how does he do it? I'm going to tell you. I'm going to make it as simple as humanly possible. Just remember two things. Remember two things. They're all throughout the book of Acts. Tell the truth, turn on the light. Just tell the truth. You don't have to make something up. If you don't know, be quiet. If you don't know, be quiet. But what you do know to be true, say it. Say it. Don't apologize for the truth. Say it. Tell the truth. Turn on the light. You don't have to make something up. You don't have to be somebody you're not. Just tell the truth and turn on the light. You can do that, right? The Holy Spirit always tells the truth. And the Holy Spirit always turns on the light. And you know what that looked like in that particular scene? Peter looks at him and says, I don't have any money. I think Peter's telling the truth. He pulled his wallet out, I bet it was empty. I don't have any money. In fact, what the truth and the light are connected. I don't have any money and money won't fix your problem, sir. Your problem's bigger than money. Your problem's way bigger than money. But there is a name. Tell the truth. Turn on the light. I don't have any money, but what I do have is a name. I can give you that name. I can tell you about a name that fixes everything. And I'm going to tell you, church, you can't give it if you don't have it. That's why I said a minute ago, if you're having to make it up, just be quiet. You're messing it up for the rest of us. If you're having to make it up, just be quiet. Don't say nothing. But there is a name. And if you've got that name, you can give that name. And there is a Spirit of Christ that dwells inside the heart of devoted believers. And if He's in there, He is the light and He is the truth. Turn on the light and tell the truth. Just let Him do what He does. He's not looking for our clever methods. He's not looking for you and I to create some clever plan. He is the plan. Just open your mouth, open your life, turn on the light, and tell the truth. There is a name. Peter says, I don't have any money, but there's a name. The name. The name. Peter and John have it. In the name of Jesus Christ, the Nazarene. Think how strange this sounds. In the name. It's not by medicine. It's not by, I've got a doctor here in town. By the name. Stand up and walk. Get up. Amazed, perplexed, astonished, and astounded. Amazed, perplexed, astonished, and astounded is coming to the Jerusalem temple at 3 o'clock. And no man can plan this. Nobody can plan this. God does this. It was not a scheduled event of Peter and John. This is a scheduled event of God. God is about to shake Jerusalem. And I'm going to ask you again, how does He do it? He does it through two devoted men who are willing to be used of the Holy Spirit to simply, to simply, quit making it complicated, church, to simply tell the truth and turn on the light. Just say what you know. Just say what you know. The truth, there is no amount of money that can fix your real condition. 
He's telling him the truth. I don't have any money. And the truth is, there's no amount of money that can fix your condition. And, and ultimately, let's just, say, let's just say, for example, that Peter had the ability to heal his legs so that he could walk. He's still going to die. One day down the road, after his legs are fixed, he's still going to die. Let's say everybody in here, suddenly somebody had the power to, to stop your ailments or fix your knee or fix your back or fix your problems. You're still going to die. There's no amount of money to stop that. You see, Peter is going to turn on the light and he's going to tell the truth. It's not money you need, sir. But there's a name. There's a name that goes way beyond sickness. Way beyond lame legs. There's a name that gives life to those who are dying. It is the light of the world. Just turn it on. When you, turn, when you say the name, you're flipping a switch. Turn on the light switch. Just say the name. I'm going to tell you, I've had a lot of circumstances in my life in which I didn't really know what to say. Just say the name. Just say Jesus. Sometimes I say it out loud. Sometimes I say it to myself. Just say it. I've had circumstances where uh, there was moments where I felt like there was something way spiritual realm darkness going on. And I just say, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. There's a name. Say the name. What did Peter tell the lame guy? Get up and walk. This is where I want to do something. If you're like me, when you read these kind of stories, you know what perspective you read them from? i tell you what I read them. I read them from the perspective of Peter and John. So I want to do something. Use your imagination. I want you to switch roles. You're not Peter and John. You're the lame beggar and you've been laying there and every day you've laid there your whole life. Your whole life is meaningless. And if somebody didn't drag you there and drop you in front of that gate, you're going to starve to death. And everybody looks at you as you are a piece of human garbage. And that's all you've ever known in your whole life is that I am worthless to everybody and even to myself. My life has no meaning, no value. And I want you to read this from his perspective today. And here these two strange guys walk up and say a strange man's name and say, get up. What do you think he thinks? What do you think's going through his mind? If you were him and you just encountered this moment, what would you think? Be real. These are real people that real things are happening to. Now, understand this. Let me read verse 44, John 6, 44, as you're pondering this lame beggar's perspective. In John 6, 44, Jesus says this, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws them to me. And I will raise them. Who? I will raise them up on the last day. Now hold, hold all that in your mind for a moment. Let me, I want to give you a personal, very personal reflection from my own life. I have shared with you on numerous occasions that God did something in my life in August of 1988. But I need to tell you this. I didn't go to the church that night in August of 1988 expecting God to rock my world. I didn't leave the house that night and look at Janet and say, you know what, I'm going to go to, the, I'm going to, go to church tonight and, and, and God's going to change my life. Everything about me is going to be different. You know what, because who's doing this? 
I didn't go to church that night thinking everything was going to be different, that my entire future. But God had already planned it. He was arranging an encounter between me and the Holy Spirit. He's doing this. Listen, why is this important? Until the church understands who's doing this, your response will be flawed. Until you understand who's doing this. That lame beggar, he didn't lie down at the gate called beautiful that day expecting new legs and a new life. But God did. You see, God's doing this. Not the lame beggar. God's doing this. The Lord added to them daily those who were being saved. The Lord's doing this. Some strange men announcing some strange man's name have just walked up to a lame beggar and said, get up and walk. Who's doing this? You need to know who's doing this so that you will know when this happens, who's doing this. And if you don't know who's doing this, then this will happen and you'll miss this. And you're not just missing something casual, you're missing something big. Who's doing this? It's not people. Let's go to verse 7, Acts chapter 3. Peter took the lame man by the right hand and helped him up. And as he did, the man's feet and ankles were instantly healed and strengthened. He jumped up, stood on his feet, and began to walk. Then walking and leaping and praising God, he went into the temple with them. And all the people saw him walking and heard him praising God. When they realized, when everybody, there's a crowd there, they're seeing it, they know him. He's the guy that's always laying by that gate. When they realized that he was the lame beggar they had seen often at the beautiful gate, they were absolutely, what's the next word? Astounded, amazed, perplexed, astonished, and astounded. That's the church. That's God's design for the church that understands who's doing this. It's not methods. It's not preachers. It's not you, and it's not me. Verse 11 they all rushed out in amazement. There's another one of those words. They all rushed out in amazement to Solomon's colonnade where the man was holding tightly to Peter and John. Amazed, perplexed, astonished, and astounded. I told you. This guy was lame from birth. He had never walked. And yet he's walking, jumping, and leaping. Don't you have to like go to physical therapy before you can do that? Don't you have to like get at least six weeks at Cardinal Hill before you should try this? I'm going to ask you, who's doing this? Is it Peter? Is it John? You can't plan this. God can. And God does. You better figure out who's doing this, church, so that you'll know how to respond when this happens to you. I'm not talking about your feet and I'm not talking about your ankles. I'm talking about your life. And when God intersects your road that you're walking on, you better know who's doing this. He's not just walking. He's running and He's leaping. He's praising God. He's doing it openly and He's doing it out loud. But there's something else happening in the temple that day. The people are watching. 
The unbelievers are watching the believers and suddenly, guess what? The unbelievers are watching the believers and guess what? Amazed, perplexed, astonished, and astounded. It's happening again. Who's doing this? There's no way to deny the miracle. There are too many witnesses to deny what just happened. And i got to tell you, I love verse 11. I get this visual image when I read verse 11. Verse 11, they all rushed out to in a, they all rushed out in amazement to Solomon's colonnade where the man was holding tightly to Peter and John. Now, I'm going to tell you my visual picture. This guy has latched on to the leg of Peter. And he don't want to let go. He's dancing, he's jumping, he's singing, he's praising God, but he's also holding on to Peter. I get emotional when I read this verse. Now pause in the story again. I want to give you another personal reflection. That night in August 1988 when my life was changed forever, I do not remember a single word that preacher. His name was Bob Molden. I do not remember a single word that that man said. That doesn't speak very well for preachers, does it? I don't. I'd be lying to you if I said, here, the night that God transformed my life, the night that this became my story, I cannot tell you a single word that came out of that preacher's mouth. But I'm going to tell you this. I love that man. Because it was through that devoted man who held up the Word of God. Through him. He didn't do it. But it was through that man that God saved me. It was through that devoted man that God opened my eyes, my ears, and my heart, and the Holy Spirit transformed my life. Who's doing this? That guy, he's holding on to Peter and John. But they didn't even give him any gold. And they didn't give him any silver. Why is he hanging on to them? What did they give him? They gave him a name. And they couldn't give him what they didn't have. They gave him a name that they already had a hold of. And you can't give somebody else what you don't have. So you got to get it first. Before you can give it to somebody else. And they've got it. And they've got it in great supply. So they give it to this lame beggar. Who's doing this? Who's calling the lame beggar to join the body of Christ? It's not Peter. It's God. So I'm going to ask you a question. If God's the one doing this, and this comes to your house, and you say no, who are you rejecting? That's why this is so important. Because sometimes people think, well, you know, I don't like that preacher. I don't like that sermon. I don't, I don't like that. I don't, I don't. Who's doing this? Who's doing this church thing? And the Lord added to the numbers daily those who were being saved. This guy's holding on to Peter and John because he realizes the gift that he's just received. But I remember exactly that night, 1988. I told you I don't remember a word that preacher said, but I can tell you exactly what the Holy Spirit said. And it wasn't audible, but I can tell you, I can quote it. Either you believe it all or you believe none of it. That's what he said. Who's doing this? God's doing this. 
So here's a, here's a, let's turn the corner. Will they listen? Peter now has a crowd that's gathered. But Peter didn't gather the crowd, did he? He didn't plan any of this. But suddenly, Peter stands in front of a great audience of unbelievers. Will they listen to him now? The lame beggars holding on to Peter and dancing as much as possible. Praising God, will they listen to Peter? I can tell you this before I read the next part. The lame beggar's listening. He's listening. Verse 12, Peter saw his opportunity and he addressed the crowd. People of Israel, he said, what is so surprising about this? And why are you staring at us, Peter and John, why are you staring at us as though we had made this man walk? Do you think I did this, Peter said? Peter's acknowledging, I don't know how to make him walk. Why are you staring at us as if we made this lame man walk by our own power and by our own godliness? No. For it is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our ancestors, who has brought glory to His servant Jesus by doing this. This is the same Jesus whom you handed over and rejected before Pilate, despite Pilate's decision to release Him. You rejected this holy, righteous one and instead demanded the release of a murderer. You killed the author of life, but God raised Him from the dead. And we are witnesses to this fact. Peter isn't doing it. John isn't doing it. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob is doing it. And why is God doing it? Did you catch it? It was in there. To bring glory to Jesus Christ the Son. That's why He's doing it. This is the purpose of the church. You know why we're here today? I don't know what you thought the reason for our assembly. Everything here is to bring glory to the Son of God. Isn't Peter afraid? I mean, this is a pretty tough audience. Isn't Peter afraid? Afraid of accusing the crowd of murdering the author of life? Because he just did that. They killed Jesus for claiming to be the Son of God. And now Peter stands up and accuses them of murdering the author of life? Who's doing this and under what power? One more time, you better figure out who's doing this so that when this comes to you, you'll know how to respond. Tell the truth. Turn on the light. Peter is going to do what? He's going to say what he knows to be true. That's what he's doing. Tell the truth. Turn on the light. All of Jerusalem is about to be shaken by this truth. All of Jerusalem is about to be shaken by this light. What truth? What light specifically? Verse 15. Did you catch it? You killed the author of life. But God raised him from the dead and we are his witnesses. Jesus died on the cross and God raised him from the dead. And there are witnesses. How do you refute the witness of Peter and John at that moment? When you see the lame beggar hanging onto their leg. How can you refute this event? How can you say, no, it's not true? Who's doing this? Remember, Peter is a common fisherman from Galilee. From Galilee is like being from Bertie. Your resume from Bertie is not going to get you anywhere. Peter's saying, I'm from Galilee. It's not going to get him anywhere. People are going to say, yeah, you're one of those country people. You're uneducated. 
You don't have any background. You don't have any authority to speak to us. Who's doing this? Next verse. Verse 16. Through faith in the name of Jesus, this man was healed. And you know how crippled he was before. Faith in Jesus' name has healed him before your very eyes. How can you argue with the truth? This light, this name. You just saw what happened and you saw we did it in Jesus' name. And Peter continues, or should I say the Holy Spirit continues. Verse 17. Friends, I realize that what you and your leaders did to Jesus was done in ignorance. But God was fulfilling what all the prophets had foretold about the Messiah. That He must suffer these things. Now repent. When's the last time you enjoyed somebody telling you to do that? Now repent and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped away. Then times of refreshment will come from the presence of the Lord. And He will again send you Jesus, your appointed Messiah. For He must remain in heaven until the time of, for, the, for the time for the final restoration of all things, as God promised long ago through His holy prophets. Moses said, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your own people. Listen carefully to everything he tells you. Then Moses said, Anyone who will not listen to the prophet will be completely cut off from God's people. Don't forget who Peter's talking to here. Religious Jews at Jerusalem for a three o'clock prayer meeting. He is using the Old Testament to reveal Jesus. And by the way, it still works today. He's using the Old Testament. He's quoting Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He's quoting Moses. The words of Moses quoted in the Old Testament to make believers in the church age. It still works today. The reason I make a big deal out of that is about uh, probably a month ago, there's a very famous American preacher. I'm not going to mention his name. Who publicly made a statement in a sermon that I watched totally. Publicly made a statement in a sermon that he believed the Old Testament has become a stumbling block to Christianity. The Old Testament has become a stumbling block to Christianity. Now I want to think, I want to give him the benefit of the doubt that he's referring to the fact that many want to try to adhere to the, the law of Moses. And we've been set free from the law of Moses. But that's not what he said. He said the law, the Old Testament, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. You know what Peter's quoting when he stands in front of the Jews? He's quoting from Moses in Deuteronomy to bring them to Christ. The Old Testament is not obsolete. It reveals the new covenant. Peter reveals that Jesus is the Messiah. The Messiah that Moses announced in the Old Testament. Peter reveals that anyone who refuses Jesus will be completely cut off from the people. Listen carefully, church. These are prophetic words quoted by Peter years after they were spoken by Moses. Anyone who rejects Jesus is going to be completely cut off from the God's people. It's called hell. It's real. Who's doing this? If you knew who was truly doing this, what would your response be? Let me prove it to you. If right now, if right now in this moment, a very bright, 
white, glowing like you can't look at it light formed above me. So bright that you knew it was not of man, that it was of God. The presence of God had entered the room. And from that light, you heard a voice. And from that light, you heard the voice clearly say, repent of your sins and turn to God. What would you do? I'm going to guess that all of you would repent of your sins and turn to God. You know why? Because you heard the voice and you responded specifically to that voice. Because you believed, who's doing this? Well, that's God. Well, that's God. And if God says, repent of your sins and turn to God, you know what we ought to do? We ought to repent of our sins and turn to God. Well, I'm going to tell you, the church has been preaching that same message. But the people sitting out in the audience somehow have believed that that message is mine or some other guy's. It's not my message. Who's doing this? So I'll ask you a question. Is there any sin in your life that you have not repented of? Right now, today, any unconfessed, unrepentant sin in your life? If the answer is yes, there is unconfessed, unrepentant sin, then you still haven't figured out who's doing this. Because anyone who does not listen to this name, Moses said, you're not going to be upset, I didn't know, because yeah, you do know, will be completely cut off from God's people. I want to close with this. The people standing there that day in Jerusalem couldn't deny the miracle. They heard the name. They saw the beggar dancing. How do you deny the truth when it stands directly in front of you? And maybe you're here today and you cannot identify yourself. And and I get it. Maybe you're in the room today and you cannot personally identify with that lame beggar. Well, I'm going to help you connect the dots. And I'll say it before. You are. I am that guy. He's me. He's you. You see, that lame beggar needs the name to give him life. And that lame beggar, if you're struggling connecting yourself to him, let me help you. Everybody in this room, we have one thing in common, and you cannot refute it. You cannot argue with me in good conscience. Out in front of you and out in front of me, there is a tombstone, a gravestone with my name on it. And you're going there. And if the Lord doesn't come first, you're going, and they're going to put you in a box and put you in the ground. And I'm going to ask you, what are you going to do about that? You are the lame beggar. Who's doing this? Who's doing this? This whole church thing, this gospel thing, this resurrection of the dead thing. I buried a guy this past Friday. He's gone. One day, they're going to bury me. One day, they're going to bury you. You are the lame beggar. Do you want the truth? Do you want to walk in the light of truth? What is truth? I'm going to ask you, do you believe what I'm about to read to you is absolute truth? authoritative, from God, truth. John 14, 6. Jesus told them, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through Me. If you really know Me, 
If you, really, if you had really known me, you would know who my Father is. And from now on, you do know, and you have seen Him. Is that truth? Is that truth? Have you heard the voice of God? God made a covenant promise to a man named Abraham some 4,000 years ago. The promise was that God was going to bless all the nations on the earth through a man named Abraham. Specifically through one that would come from Abraham's seed. Almost 500 years after Abraham, Moses comes to deliver two million children of Abraham from Egyptian bondage. And he told them, he told these people of God that God was going to raise up one like Himself from Israel and you must listen to Him. You must listen to Him. You must listen to Him. This prophecy is connected to Abraham, to Moses, to Peter, to us in this room. You must listen to Him. And the truth is if you don't listen to Him, you will be completely cut off from God's people. Through faith in the name of Jesus, that man was healed. Through faith in the name of Jesus, I have been healed. Sin and death are no longer, they don't, they're not connected to my name. If I die a physical death, my soul will resurrect. If I die a physical death, the angels will carry my soul into the place where Abraham is at right now. And I will get a new body to put that soul in one day. The promise of God is irrevocable. Through faith in the name of Jesus. Who's doing this? It's not people. It's not the church. It's not the preachers. It wasn't Abraham. It wasn't Moses. It wasn't Peter. It wasn't John. God the Father through Jesus the Son. Who's doing this? John 12, 32. Jesus makes this statement. And when I am lifted up from the earth, ah. Not, not preachers. And when I am lifted up to the earth. That's a, that's a reference to the cross. And when I am lifted up on the cross, I, Jesus said, I will draw all people unto myself. He's doing it. And if you reject this message, you're not rejecting me. If you reject this message, you're not rejecting me. You're rejecting Him. Because I'm not doing this. You are not in this room today by accident. I was not at Corinth Christian Church that night in 1988 by accident, by chance. God had arranged an appointment with me. He did it, not me. His mercy and grace, not mine. His arranged a meeting. You have not heard this message today by chance any more than that lame beggar just happened to be sitting in the temple that day. God's doing this. He's adding to the body of Christ daily those who are being saved. You better know who's doing this. It wasn't Peter and it certainly is not me. I don't know how to add to the church. I'm confessing. I don't know how to add to the church. I don't have that power. I can't heal you physically and I can't heal you spiritually. And I certainly cannot forgive your sins. But there is a name. There is a name. There's only one name that heals one that forgives sins. And you must listen to Him or you will be completely cut off from God's people. And you know what He's saying today? You know what He's saying today? Same thing He was saying then. Stand up and walk. If you're in the room today, we're going to sing a song. 
We're going to sing a song, and if you're in the room today, stand up and walk. Why don't you stand up and walk down? Why don't you confess His name with your mouth and believe in your heart? Why don't you? Why don't you? You're not rejecting me. If you walk out this door and you have not confessed Christ as your Lord and Savior, you have not rejected Terry Cooper. You've not rejected none of a Christian church. Because we're not doing this. You've rejected Christ. Has He arranged a meeting for you today? If so, how will you respond? The invitation's open. Let's stand.